And we are live. This is Canada Hoops Daily Presents Wrap It Up Podcast. My name is Sheldon Alexander, coming to you live after each and every Toronto Raptors game. As you know by now, this is Canada Hoops Daily Pod, which you can find live and interact with the show on a couple different places. First place up, we got the YouTube page which is under Canada Hoops Daily. Make sure you like and subscribe there. The second place you can find the pod is on Instagram. Same thing goes there, Canada Hoops Daily. And of course, the app formerly known as Twitter, at Can Hoops Daily. That's how you interact live with the show. Taking your comments and questions. The Raps lose a tough one tonight. 135 to 130 to the Sacramento Kings. A real heartbreaker, I want to say, because I thought the Raps played a great game. It just, you couldn't overcome the crazy shooting that Sacramento had in the first half. But we'll deep dive into it. And we also got a special guest coming up very soon. I'd like to introduce you to my dude. More on that in a sec. But first, just want to say thank you for tuning in. Make sure you send in your comments and questions. Make sure that wherever you happen to be liking and subscribing to this pod right now, bless us with that share you bless us with that like that's how you support the movement that is canada hoops daily presents wrap it up podcast i want to hear from you raptors fans as we are up late night it's past midnight here on the east coast we're gonna be with you live after every game on this raptors road trip so make sure you get your sleep in we'll be here we'll be ready for you tough one tonight though as the raptors fall and you know what i'm gonna bring my guy in right now this is we're doing something a little different here here we go i gotta take this off maybe hit this there we go there we go i got it how's my guy zulfi doing man what's up man what's up sheldon i am good it's way past my bedtime but the raptors kept me up there how are you feeling <laughs> i'm good man i want to welcome you officially to the canada hoops daily brand of course i've always been mentioning there's a lot more coming on the way from this brand for sure but my guy zolfi will be coming here on the pod from time to time to help us break down the game to talk about what's going on but first as i said i want to make a formal introduction but i want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself to the people introduce yourself because raptors fans are going to know who you are right <laughs> for sure you're already doing mega work at a bunch of different places already but i want you to be able to give yourself an introduction to the Canada Hoops Daily fans who might not be familiar with you yet. Keyword yet. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I get to know more people and be a part of this community. Well, Sheldon, I want to start off by thanking you for the opportunity of being part of Canada Hoops Daily as we start growing and getting bigger and bigger, and people will know what Canada Hoops Daily is more and more. But yeah, uh, just to introduce myself, like Sheldon said, Zofi Shake. I am very new to this industry. I won't lie in terms of talking about sports as a career, but that doesn't mean I haven't been doing this basically my whole life as I've been a sports fan. I told Sheldon when I came on, my best memories are talking hoops with my friends in high school at the lunch table. And I'm sure that's how everyone still likes to talk hoops. And that's how we want to do it here as well. Keep it a fun, casual conversation. But now I just want to make a career out of it because this is what I love to do most. So I'm at Sportsnet interning there, doing some work for them. And I'm at Raptors Republic freelancing a little bit as well. So it's been awesome to join those communities. And the biggest thing I've learned is people love their hoops here and they love talking about it like a family. The Raptors is a family to people. People care about it. And that's what makes it so much fun for everyone. So that's kind of how I want to approach this as well. Yeah, and as mentioned, and I tell people all the time, the Wrap It Up podcast started with the goal in mind of bringing the group text 
to the masses. And so I'd like to welcome you, Zulfi, to the group text. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. I mean, this game was almost a perfect game to have you come on and, and you know, have this be your first show just because it was almost an epic comeback from the Toronto Raptors. And I thought, you know, if we start from the beginning here, right, because there's a lot that went down in this game for sure. As mentioned, Sacramento winning this one, 135 to 130. And the Raps were down by as many as 23 points in this one, cut it all the way down to two points in the fourth quarter. And I honestly thought when they were down in the first half, I wasn't sure if they could come back just because of the way Sacramento was shooting the ball. Like, what, what were you thinking as Sacramento was just hitting everything moving in that first half? Yeah, I remember, like, just watching it. I, I thought the second I came on here, the first thing I was going to say is, like, this game is like the OG Ananobi tax. Like, this is where <laughs> you miss a guy like OG Ananobi who's just doing everything for you from perimeter to inside. The Raptors had no resistance from inside. You saw how Yakov struggled early in that game. And they tried overcompensating for that by sending more people inside, and that led to open looks outside. Keegan Murray went nuts. But at a certain point, like I think that my main takeaway was just like, it's hard to overcome the math of it. You allow them to make nine more threes. That's 27 extra points. It's really, really hard to overcome. So at a certain point, the numbers just don't add up in your favor. But like you said, a hell of an effort to come back. And we'll probably talk about it a bit more as we go. But the defensive adjustments made a big difference. But in that first half, man, it was looking shaky. <laughs> it definitely was looking shaky. And I thought, you know, First, and remind me, because we want to talk about Shams's effect on this night of Raptors yeah. basketball viewing. We will definitely get to that for sure, because Shams was dropping bombs yeah. on the whole entire Raptors fan base before this game even started. We will get there, but I feel like the game was so crazy. We got to talk about the game first. and. Even the three-point shooting was great. I thought DeMontis Sabonis had a really good start, and I mean a really good finish. He just dominated the paint early, 12.7 rebounds in that first quarter. And he was just, you know, his game looks like the old man at the Y because there's not a lot of lift there really, but he's making post moves. He's dominating the paint. He knows how to use his body. And the Raps really didn't have much of an answer early. Mm-hmm. What do you think was that adjustment that was made? You, you touched on it earlier that you thought there, there was an adjustment made from the first half to the second half. What exactly were you seeing? Yeah, I think the biggest adjustment was switching away from a guy like Jakob Pertl, who's a great interior presence, but slower and not as mobile, to Scotty Barnes. I saw people talking about it on, on Twitter, especially that when Scotty was on these faster twitchier guards like De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, like he's great and he's a really good defender, but it's hard for a guy that size to be keeping up with these guards. You add him on a guy who is mobile and Sabonis, but is still a big lumbering body. Like Scotty has a lot more success. He gets to be a help defender in that case as well. And you saw Scotty, especially late there, forced a couple turnovers, got a couple blocks off help defense. It's just that adjustment, I think, along with Dennis being able to guard some of those guards off the bench, like was a big difference in that second half. And you saw it pay dividends. So I think that was the biggest adjustment there. You saw how uh, Jakob struggled early and kind of in the first half, they didn't read that adjustment right away in terms of switching Scotty onto Sabonis. But in the second half, it made all the difference in my opinion. Yeah, I think Yak, you know, Yak has a tough time with some of the Raptors fan base. I feel like people are so mad at him sometimes. But I think he's a super solid point guard or uh, center. But I just think sometimes the matchups just aren't the right ones for him. And in a game like this with Sabonis, it's like you almost have to – he has to almost come out with the mindset of – his whole goal is just to put a body on Sabonis at all times mm. because Sabonis was dominating the glass early. The Kings were dominating the glass early with second chance points. And you mentioned Dennis, you know, the Raps were down 36-27 after the first quarter. But Dennis Schroeder coming off the bench, I mean, 
he's been so good since being moved to the bench, despite the fact that he didn't, you could tell he didn't really want to be coming off the bench, (laughs) but credit to him for answering the call and playing his best basketball so far this season coming off the bench. I thought in this game, he kind of saved the Raptors. I know they were down early, but he gave them life. What were you seeing from Dennis Schroeder in terms of, you know, just the energy he was able to provide? I think you saw from him, especially this recent stretch coming off the bench, what people were so excited to see coming off that run with Germany. It was He was a floor general and leader, and he's talked about this. You saw his quote from a couple days ago where he's like, he wants these guys to support each other more and be there. And he was leading by example today off the bench. He wasn't, he wasn't complaining about anything. He was there being able to provide value defensively before anything. Yes, the offense is great, and it's good when a shot is going. But he got a lot of those at the line and just taking easy looks. And then outside of that, he wasn't shot hunting. He was just playing hard defense. You saw that moment when Pascal, I guess, got like uh, tied up with Malik Monk. Him and uh, Chris Boucher ran over to him to pick him up. Like That's being a leader just by your just by your actions more than anything. And I think that's what people were so excited to see. Is uh, It's great to have that in the starting lineup, but then there's a responsibility that might come with that, and it's hard to get past about, like, I need to try to do more than maybe I am. But on the bench, that pressure is kind of gone, and he gets to be with uh, players who can use him a lot more. So I thought that kind of worked out so well in this game, and I, I kind of want to push it back to you and then ask about the Chris Boucher side of it, who is also sure. amazing in this game, because he's that guy who, like, when it's on, it's on, and he's providing you so much impact-wise. I love Chris Boucher. And the reason I love Chris Boucher is because I feel like he is your prototypical bench guy in the sense that, listen, I understand while your skills or your talent might not be at the level of the starters, you know what your strength is and that's energy. And no matter what, every single night, no matter how many points Chris Boucher puts up, no matter how many times he takes the bad three-pointer that we all know he should not be taking, He's still hustling up and down the floor. He's throwing himself on the glass. He's throwing himself on the ground. Like he is just all over the place and constant energy. And for the longest time, I always wondered, you know, from last year to even the start of this season, how come Precious was getting minutes over him? I didn't really understand it just because at least I know what I'm getting from Boucher every night. And that's energy. And no matter what's going on in a basketball game, if you're ahead, If you're down, having that boost of energy off the bench is always a plus. And Boucher tonight did that, and he actually like put up numbers on the stat sheet. I thought he had a great game, but between him and Dennis coming off the bench early, it was huge. But I think this game also was big because the Raptors needed Gary Trent Jr. He's had a weird, weird, weird season, and him being out in this game where How do do I phrase this? I think since the Raptors made this trade, right? My frustration with the team, and I think the whole fan base's frustration with the team was roster construction in the terms, in terms of everyone being kind of the similar type player. Like they needed more roster balance. So when you get quickly in, and now you think you can run lineups with like guard-driven lineups quickly, Schroeder, Trent, like that's how you see a team like Sacramento getting out and running and gunning and shooting threes and getting out on the break. And so watching this game, I couldn't help but think, what would it have looked like with Gary Trent Jr. out there also running the floor? Because this game was made for Dennis and quickly to get up and down, get open looks, and then someone like Boucher to benefit from that energy, from that pace. But overall, Overall, that first half was all about the three-point shooting from Sacramento. And I was wondering, would they even miss a shot in that <laughs> half? They were, what, in the first half, twenty or 14 for 27? Yeah. 2% from three. 
Murray was four for four. Harrison Barnes, four for six. Lyles, three for four. Like, that was just insane shooting right from the jump. And I know it lasted a full half, and chances are it's not going to last the whole game, but I was still worried watching it because these guys, they weren't missing. Yeah, their first two quarters, they put up 36 and 41. Like, again, 77 points is the most the Raps have given up in a half all season. And, like, I want to say, like, you have to be better defensively. But to your point, like, it's really hard when the other team just won't miss. Some of them, yes, the Raptors could have closed on, on a, lo- a lot better. But some of them, just, like, a quick dribble handoff between uh, Sabonis and Murray. And Murray is a couple feet behind the line, and he just takes it with zero hesitation. Like, there's not much you can do there. A lot of them, there was a hand up. But, like, when these guys are hitting, when Harrison Barnes is hitting 5-3, basically all from the corners – with a guy closing out on him. Like, there's not much else you can really do. So it's one of those things where, like, in the first half, as much as we wanted to, like, scold the Raptors over that, you got to give them that much credit for overcoming that deficit in the second half and being able to play through that. Because a lot of teams and, hell, a lot of fans watching that, we just put our head down and be like, you know what, it's one of those nights. The other team won't miss, and it'd be very easy to give up on this game. But the fact mm-hmm. that they did it is a massive testament to them. I, I think the the – Everything you said is so bang on and so perfect. And I think the biggest part was the way that Sacramento was shooting. There's very little the Raps can do. Sometimes, like, Kenny Smith says this all the time, and I always reference Kenny because I think Kenny is the, like, unsung hero of the TNT. Like, the whole thing doesn't work without Kenny. But he always says great offense will beat great defense. And the offense is Sacramento just swinging the ball, passing up a good shot for a great shot. And when you're passing the ball from a good shooter to another good shooter to another good shooter, like <laughs> it was just, it was crazy. And I got to admit, watching that game in the first half, Raptors down 20 at the half, I'm thinking, oh no, like I don't think this is looking good. I think this game's over, right? Yeah. Like I, I got to admit watching it. That's what I thought because it wasn't just the threes. They were getting the offensive rebounds. They were getting the second chance points. I think at halftime, it was eight offensive rebounds leading to 15 second chance points yeah, for, right. for uh, the Kings. And you know, when you're winning that, those two numbers off or offensive rebounds, second chance points, and then shooting the threes at that clip. I mean, night, night is what I thought. <laughs> But the third quarter, how did the Raps come back? Because to me, it's one thing to, you know, you get off to an okay start, but it just seemed for a while that they would get it, they would cut it to like 16, maybe 15, and then it'd go back up. And they couldn't just keep it close enough for the majority of the third quarter. But instead, instead, they end up like coming all the way back. And I think, I, I thought the difference was getting to the free throw line. And they didn't fall into the trap, which I think the Raptors do a lot, which is trying to make it a three-point shooting contest. I think we saw that against Boston, and it almost worked. Like They almost came back, but I just don't think like long-term that's a style of play that is conducive to winning for the Raps, right? But tonight, I thought in that third quarter, when they, especially the third as they closed on a 22-9 to run, it's like they were focused on First off, playing defense, getting some stops, but also getting out in transition. How much different does this team look in transition now than pre-trade? Yeah, I think having guys like Quickly and uh, RJ Barrett who thrive in transition, I think makes all the difference in the world. Like not to say OG Ananobi didn't, but you have two guys who emphasize that so much. And it like it goes back to like this trade being a bit of a reset for this team. I feel like where it's like 
you do the simple things or things that you know are strengths for this team. Even coming into the season, transition offense was a strength of this team, and for some reason, they got away from it. I know there was a handful of games where fans were like, what is going on with this team in transition? They shouldn't be this bad. Pascal Siakam blowing lives in transition. We can talk about Gary Trent Jr., how he wasn't looking the same in transition as well. But, like, when you add these two guys who haven't had that, I guess, a bit of, like, mojo, like, being taken away from them, it, it kind of refreshes them in that sense and those are easy baskets that this Raptors team need like when you said they shouldn't get into a shootout that's exactly what I said in that Boston game too where it's like that is not the the recipe for success for this team they are not consistent enough shooting the three and even tonight 35 percent is pretty decent you made 13 threes but that's still not enough to come back from that huge deficit they were in so like get those stops get easy looks and doing that I think that's where that entire run came from again you switch Dennis onto De'Aaron Fox in these guards you switch uh Scotty onto Sabonis you're able to push some turnovers out of it and then run and get those easy baskets and that's something that like Sacramento can't really counter as easily because they're going to be on the back foot they're going to get tired getting those easy looks from threes aren't as simple anymore because they are such a high paced team it takes a lot of energy out of you so being able to counter that with those easy transition baskets I think made all the difference in that huge run and I think that's a key part of the trade too. You mentioned the two guys that you're adding in. It's not that OG didn't thrive in transition, but OG was never leading the transition where I think RJ to a lesser extent, but more so quickly, he can get the ball and push and, and you're out to the races, right? The Raptors, seven guys, no, eight guys in double digits in this game. And you're thinking, okay, well, how does that happen? Well, you have a lot of easy buckets made by Scotty, made by Quickly. Even Yak, you know, someone will drive to the cup. They're able to, to force the big to help, dump it off to Yak. He can make yeah. that layup. And I know it might not be, you know, full on in transition, but it's even that secondary break. You're able to get an easy look because you push the ball up the floor. And for the Raps, that's the way they have to play. It was always the way they had to play, but I feel like before pushing the ball in transition was always dependent on Scotty or Pascal. Yeah. Right. Dennis to ex a lesser extent, but mostly it's going to be those guys. And when you're asking them to push the tempo, push the pace and, you know, score in the half court and create for everybody like, and play defense, right? Like that's a lot to ask from Scotty Barnes. And he's had a really good season so far, but just having more guys to take that load off of them, I think is such a huge, 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 you know, great position that Masai's put this team in, but I've never yeah. seen a game. The Raptors have had this season really where you're, you've gotten such balanced scoring throughout your lineup through everyone that got solid minutes in this game. Like, that was just, it was a thing of beauty. This has to be what Masai, I know it's a loss. I understand it's a loss. And I'm not really, I mean, I'm not really big on moral victories and being like, hey, that was great. You almost came back and won. But I've talked a lot on this pod about this season and what this season should mean for Raptors fans. It's not going to be about wins and losses and where you finish. It's about seeing the pieces, how they come together, how they develop, how they learn to grow together and have a direction, right? Mm -hmm. And I think now you see that and your point that you made about the Raptors being able to come back in that second half when it would have just been easy to be like, oh, you know, we didn't have it tonight. They shot the lights out. What are we doing? And instead, they made a great push. And I want to ask you about someone, um, Jonte Porter. I want you to tell me a little. I know you. I know I've seen the tweets. I know you've been following. <laughs> I know you. I know you do some nine oh five, right? So tell me a little bit about Jonte and just even just his his help off the bench as well, because he had a really solid night. Yeah, I think the 
like obviously people have talked about it from the last game to this game. His minutes have increased, and it's because he earned it by being good defensively. He's been sound. There was a possession against uh, Sabonis, I believe, in the third quarter where he just went chest to chest with him, was physical. And the ball spit out of there, and then I got to Trey Lyles for an open three regardless. But like he just was as physical as you could get with Sabonis, as mobile, moving his feet, and that's just what it is for him. He needs to earn his minutes defensively, and the offense will come, and it did in this game. He hit a couple threes after that. He had a nice little layup off, off a dump off pass. And the thing that I liked about that side of it is that there is zero hesitation on that jumper. He looks just like his older brother out there, just banging it without wasting any time. And that's a guy who can stretch the floor, pick and pop game with Pascal Siakam, a big to big pick and pop. It's something I don't think the Raptors have had much of at all, which is kind of exciting to see. And I'm not saying he's going to be into rotation like guaranteed now, but he's earning his minutes out there and he's doing it by like letting the game come to him. It's very easy for a guy, especially who's going to go up and down from the G League back and forth to be like, hey, when I'm out there, I have to take advantage of these minutes and make myself look as good as possible by just throwing the ball up. And he didn't really do that. He took smart shots, and he made his impact first on the defensive end, which is like the best way you can go about doing it. So I think it was just awesome effort overall. And it's it just shows his character in terms of how he got to this point. They talked about it all throughout the broadcast, the injuries he's dealt with, and all those knee uh, problems that he had and having to get to this point. He was willing to quit basketball at 22. That's how bad it was. And the fact that he's able to overcome that and stick to it kind of speaks to kind of his game as well. And his game shows it. He's going to stick through any obstacles that come up. The first game, a shot didn't fall all that well. He didn't let that stop him at all this game. And he took those couple threes late, and he was able to hit them, and it was awesome to see. Yeah, I thought, you know, great performance for him and especially being able to get in there and get a long run. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like sometimes, you know, you get in there and you don't really get enough time to like get a sweat even. But, you know, he was able because the Raptors need backup center minutes. And yeah. while him and Boucher continue to fight for those backup center minutes, I still think there's enough for both of them to succeed and, and both of them to get run. But you mentioned it, 10 points, three rebounds, three of four from the floor, from the floor overall, two of three from three point land and the no hesitation. I can't lie. The first shot that he put up, no hesitation. I was like, Whoa, I took a step back. I was like, okay, that's, that's what we do in here. Okay. I get it. I see you see enough spurts where I'm like, okay, I see what the coaching staff sees here, Mm -hmm. right? Where you, you can, you, you need some more seasoning. You need some more time in the oven, but there's something there that at least tells you, okay, this guy can play in the league. And at this point, all the Raptors need to be about is getting young assets that you can bring in, trust your development program that has done such a good job time and time and time again, and you never know what you're going to be able to find, right? Um, but yeah, part of the balanced attack of scoring. He had 10 points. I mentioned this. Boucher, 14 off the bench. Schroeder, 18 off the bench. And all your starters in double digits. Like, this was... It sucks the Raptors lost this game, and I'm not the moral victory guy, but I genuinely think the Raptors played well in this game. It's just a shooting in that first half, and then down the stretch, you know, it's going to be rough. I was talking about in our newsroom before I left work that the toughest part for the Raps now, as they make this new team with your new nucleus, your new point guard, it's going to just be figuring out winning time because Mm -hmm. you're still figuring out who gets the ball when, Um, you know, who are you passing the ball to? Who are you running the offense through? And that part is going to take time to, to sort out. Cause quickly at this point, I feel like he's still kind of hesitating in certain moments where he could tell like, Oh, he'd normally come off that screen and just let that shot go. He kind of hesitates for a second. Doesn't want to just be that aggressive. So I'm interested to see how that plays out, but how do you see 
the Raptors winning time rotation going, meaning who do you want to see the offense run through? Is it Pascal still? Is it Scotty? Is it quickly? I think until quickly gets more comfortable in terms of like being himself. Mm -hmm. I I do want to see it mostly through Scotty because I just think Scotty is more of a threat in terms of being able to shoot. We saw that shot he made against the Spurs, that step back. And like, that's not to say he can do that all the time, but he has that threat there. And just like his ability to be so balanced between I'm going to get my own look versus being able to pass to make the right pass. I think is just what I want out of that creator. It is, it is LeBron asked to be, to not be like overdramatic in terms of like, he's going to make the right play and the right decision versus a guy like uh, Pascal, his move in the clutches usually to get downhill and kind of see what he can get out of it, especially getting a foul or getting the ball up. And then uh, you saw it quickly. And I know you tweeted about it too, where like wh- that, that play draw, well, was that a play drawn up at the end there? We don't really know what that was yeah. uh, in terms of that last possession. So I think he's still trying to figure it out. So I think Scotty is the guy I want to see most with. And that goes back to your point about this team needing to be focused on development. Scotty's going to get that ball in that situation in his prime when he's really figured it all out. So you want him to get those reps now in a situation like this, especially in a game where like, obviously you are trying to win, but the way I see it too, is like after making that comeback, it is a bit of gravy. where like, Hey, Go let him go do that. Let him go figure it out there because like you weren't even supposed to be in this situation. You were down twenty. The Kings made like twenty threes, uh, twenty one threes in this game. Like the fact that you're in here is is good. So try to make the most out of it. So I thought Scotty is the guy I wanted to see the ball run through in that situation. But yeah, I want to go back to you on the on the final possession that quickly shot. What your thoughts yeah. were around that and what you think maybe the team even drew up there. I don't know what that play was because you saw Dennis run up to the top of the key. And it looked like maybe he was going to fake as if he was setting the screen Yeah. or right. And like everyone else is just kind of standing around. So I'm not sure what the rest of the action was supposed to be, but quickly looks up at the clock and just sees, okay, I guess I better just get a shot off here. Yeah. And you know, at that point, there's not really enough time for you to drive for a two because you've wasted time off the clock. It was only nine seconds left. Mm. So I don't really know what the, what the actual, you know, play was drawn up. I think in that situation, and I think as the raps get more used to what quickly can do and some of the things he can accomplish on the court in terms of catch and shoot, I think in that scenario with nine seconds left, I'd like to see something drawn up where you have quickly coming off a screen catch and shoot for that three, something quick hitting so that even if you miss, maybe you get an offensive rebound and you can get another chance, but there's only nine seconds left. Mm -hmm. I think giving him the ball, and expecting him to go one-on-one and shoot a three, I mean, that couldn't have been the – I don't think yeah, that it, could be the play call, right? Yeah, it's asking a lot for him to do that. I don't know. I like I, I would assume there's some kind of miscommunication in terms of like a, an off-the-ball action to get something going. And so you have to kind of just improvise there. But I'm with you where I think like how quickly can be used in those clutch situations is like getting him off a screen and just being able to put up a clean shot because you know he's so good coming off those screens and relocating. And I think with him going back to my other point was like – Keeping it simple, because right now he's still like early on in this process where like you you can see it. He's thinking more than just doing and following his instincts in terms of like getting open and getting those looks when he doesn't take that three after relocating. Like that's something, you know, he would have took in like every single time on the Knicks. So he's still trying to get into that role. And I commend it to a point because he came here thinking that like I want to be more of a playmaker and I want to show that. And that's absolutely like a positive thing. But like you're also known for just being that killer who can score in those situations. So like with the Raptors, they kind of have to like keep it as simple for him as possible. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Top Gun Maverick. I just watched yeah. it at the top of my head where like <laughs> uh, Tom Cruise is talking to Miles Teller and he's just mm-hmm. like, uh, dude, don't think. 
Like that's when you're your best. And that's exactly what it is with quickly as well. Like just do, we know what you're here for. We trust you to do it. You don't have to think through the process at all. And when you do that, I think he's just going to, you're going to really start seeing him like uh, succeed. A good sign too for quickly in this game was much like the Raptors struggled early and then came on strong late quickly as well. Like, at one point I looked up and I was like, Whoa, he's up to 18. Like when did that happen? Cause it kind of was just in spurts where all he, I knew he was struggling. He wasn't really doing much early on, but then all of a sudden late, he hits a couple threes. He's feeling good. He gets a drive to the lane. I mean that crossover where he oh, dropped herder. And it's like, if that goes in, I think honestly he missed the shot because he crossed him and then realized that he and he was kind of thrown off. And then in his mind, he's like, "Well, I, I guess I have to shoot this yeah. right because he fell." And I don't know <laughs> if he is actually going to shoot the ball initially. But the one thing I want people to watch on that replay, if you see that replay, look at Scotty Barnes's oh, face <laughs> on the bench. He's right beside him. He's like, oh, he just pauses, like eyes popping out of his head. He's just like, you could. It's Scotty, so you can imagine he's. Yeah, I just wish he done. made it. Scotty's yeah. reaction would have been even crazier if he made it. It would have been so good. I mean, at least Boucher got the rebound and put it back in. So mm. I hope it's still in the highlight pack. I got to check that out later on. <laughs> I hope so anyways, because at least it's still like indirectly led to a bucket. But in terms of quickly down the stretch, I thought it was super interesting. I just want to go through a couple plays here in the fourth quarter because I always love breaking down winning time because I think that that is the difference between good teams and great teams mm. and like why a team like Detroit can't win because you're going to yeah. be close. But then what do you do in winning time is always what happens, you know, and I thought for quickly to hit the three to make it a 10 point game. And at that point, the Raps couldn't get stops. Sabonis was doing everything inside. And then all of a sudden, you had Porter and Boucher just making plays, just making solid big guy plays, right? As you mentioned earlier, being physical, using their body, and then owning the paint on their own. And I thought quickly driving, he was able to dump it off to, uh, I mean, Boucher gets a rebound off that play where, you know, quickly drops Herter. But that made it a nine-point game. Raps were right there. That point, it was a 14-6 to run, cut the lead to seven. Quickly drives, finds Boucher for a lay-in. That cut it to five. Boucher doing a little bit of everything. He takes a charge on the other end, which I was like, okay, Boucher. Because normally he's a guy to bite on pump fakes and like foul or something. But making just a key stretch there for Chris Boucher. Yak comes back in makes a layup that made it a three-point game and i thought the blessing in disguise was yak fouling out (laughs) forcing (laughs) them to bring boucher back into the game because i actually thought him being more active as you mentioned earlier was actually a benefit for the raps there because boucher was able to guard like you know they had him guarding harrison barnes at certain points just to like help those screen matchups i don't know i just thought that was super interesting at one point but quickly you mentioned quickly got up in the air at one point turnover. And I think, again, he's just thinking, we know when he comes off that screen and he drives in the lane, he's more likely to take that floater yeah. and the floater game is nice, but he he's hesitated, kind of got in the air. Didn't know if he was going to shoot it or pass it ends up being a turnover. Fox gets called for an offensive foul at the other end. He's arguing attack then back down the floor um, quickly, obviously knocks down the free throws. Siakam gets called for a charge back on Fox. And I thought that was a makeup call. Yeah. And the, the refs like, I'm not, I'm never blaming the game on a ref, 
but it's just so blatant when they call the offensive foul, like after Fox gets called for the offensive foul gets teed up. And then the very next play, he yeah. takes a charge. Like, come on, come yeah. on refs. It's a makeup call. It always is <laughs> It's such a makeup call. Uh, yeah. Quickly then is able to hit knock down a huge three, which cut the lead to two. We saw the skipping come out. Yeah. Which, <laughs> how long until we're seeing Toronto kids doing the quickly skip down the floor, either in the park during their like rec league games. It's not to be out. I want to break it out. I want to join a rec league just so I can do this Ellie. Now it looks so good. It really does. It really does. Um, down the stretch though, important to note this because it's not just about what happens in winning time on the offensive end. It's also about defense. Scotty Barnes with a massive block on Sabonis because they tried to dump it down. Sabonis working on Boucher and Sabonis trying to body him. Of course, Scotty comes over the top with a massive block. How underrated is Scotty Barnes's defense? And as you mentioned, once he gets moved over to do more of the help defense stuff, how big of an asset is that to the Raptors overall? My last note that I have from this game is Scotty Barnes is a special help defender because of that block on Sabonis. It's just he's so he has that fast twitchiness. Like he looks like a volleyball player out there when he gets those high swats because it just letting him stick out there is kind of like this like almost like a safety in football, just ball hawking and watching around. Like he has the instincts for it so well. He can, he's so lengthy that he can like still be able to defend his man. You saw that play. I think it was in the third or late in the second where he was uh, originally in the paint. And then he worked from the right side of the court to the left corner and blocked Duarte on a three, like stuff like that. It's just, he has the natural instincts of being able to follow the ball. He has the length to do it effectively. So it's just one of those things where like, that's where he's the most like effective. And that's what made the difference in this game. When you let Scotty roam around, be a help defender starting off on the inside in the paint and then work around, like it makes all the difference because you're just letting him play to his strength. When he has to stay on the perimeter and just basically chase these like fast guards, it's hard for him to keep up because he has to think about that a lot more versus when he can like stick around the paint and roam and help. So I think that's the best way to utilize him in this defense. And it's just going to be the way to make him kind of unlock himself defensively. And like you saw it there, that block is just the timing on that was impeccable. The way he came down on it, came over the top. It's just one of those plays where like, it was the perfect second. One second too late, it's a foul. One second too early, you probably get him across the arm or something. Like He just has the timing and the instincts of it, and it's so awesome to see. Yeah, and the point about you talking about Scotty guarding, not having to guard the guards, I think that's also one of the benefits of making a trade to bring you in to other guards who will get a lot of minutes. Yeah. Scotty not having to chase around these guards. Because I think the next point in evolution for this Scotty Barnes-led team or whomever you know is beside him, whether it's Quickly and RJ, whatever it is. But I just think it's figuring out the best position for Scotty. Because mm -hmm. go back to like Giannis's development, right? Remember that Jason Kidd year when Jason Kidd put him at the point guard? Yeah. It was like, oh, Giannis is going to play point this year. And it's like, okay, cool. I get it, but that's not really how he's going to be best utilized, right? Exactly. But you do it at the time because of the lack of pieces around him. I kind of understand it. I feel like there's going to be the same thing with Scotty Barnes in the sense that once the Raps get to a position where Quickly's more uh, comfortable in the lineup with the rest of the players, with the team, he can now take some of that burden that Scotty has all the time of needing to bring the ball up the floor, lead the offense, push the pace. That saves Scotty's energy to be able to do other things that the team really needs and lacks 
which is that help defense, blocking shots, getting rebounds. Maybe it's having to bang with Sabonis, but he can use his energy to be able to do that. And sometimes it's a gift and the curse of being so good at so many different things. The team doesn't really know what's the best way to utilize you. You know what I mean? And that's what another, that's why I really love quickly being here. And I'm excited every single game to just see them work through winning time, figure out how things can work. Cause right now, Dennis Schroeder is playing a huge role as well in crunch time because having that extra ball handler gives them another playmaker, but gives them another guard playmaker, which I think is so important in the NBA because you saw actions where quickly wasn't able to beat his guy off the dribble, but he would do the dribble handoff to Schroeder, but Schroeder was able to do it, drives in the lane, finds Boucher, he gets fouled, but that ends up getting Sabonis fouled out, which is massive, right? Boucher goes to the line, splits a pair, hits one of the free throws. But at that point, it's like, okay, well, we'll take that split because Sabonis is out of the game, which is obviously massive. And I thought the key play, the winning time play, was De'Aaron Fox the other way. After that bucket, Fox came down. He made a move on on his Kentucky brethren. (laughs) Spins in the lane. Does a little fade away over both quickly and Chris Boucher, who came over to help. And that's just, you know, my best player versus your best player. Who's gonna make who's gonna make more plays? And Fox, I thought that was a shot that really won the game for them. Because even though the Raps still had a chance down the stretch, that was the toughest shot. And that's just their star player making a play in winning time. De'Aaron Fox, what did, what did you make of his game tonight? Yeah, De'Aaron Fox is a special, special player. Like you said, that that final play, it just comes down to, like, do you trust your stars to make star plays? And it's a make-or-miss league, and he did it. Like, he's been, like, a super clutch player the past couple of years. He's always been in contention for that new clutch award because he just knows how to make plays at the end of games. And I just think his game is, like, I think Alvin even said it oddly that, like, he's kind of underrated, even though he's averaging, like, 30 points a game. But it's true. Especially lately, he's been on a tear. He's taking Steph Curry, like, shots at times. And it's just he's so comfortable in this offense now. And the Sacramento team just goes as far as De'Aaron Fox takes them. And I think, like, that play at the end there, too, was just, like, I don't think anyone in Sacramento ever, like, would have uh, questioned him taking that shot. They just know that he's the guy to do it, especially with Sabonis being out there, dealing with foul trouble and everything that he had going on, especially Scotty causing him problems there towards the end. It's just one of those like moments where you just know he's going to take it. You know the ball is going to him, but what can you just stop it? And I think it was like on, to the Raptors' like defense, I think it was pretty good defense overall. Yeah. It was a tough yeah. shot to take going backwards and hitting that against like a, two very like uh, close defenders. So yeah, but De'Aaron Fox, he's just a special, special player. And I don't even think like the first couple quarters, like you're, we're so focused on the three-point shooting. Harrison Barnes is going crazy. Keegan Murray, no one was even really talking about De'Aaron Fox when he was doing, but he still comes out and has this great game and puts out this clutch shot at the end. I think it just speaks to what kind of player he is. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox, that last play, that is such a, you broke it down perfectly. That is such a star player play. Because again, quickly is right there. Right, like he got beat off the dribble, but the 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 jump stop in the lane, quickly still right there to contest the shot. Boucher comes over to help, and he hits that fadeaway Jimmy over both of them, and it's yeah. just like nothing you can do at that point. And as mentioned, basically it came down to that last play, wraps down three, one thirty three, one thirty nine seconds left, and they couldn't get a good shot off. Quickly has the ball. I mean, just over half court, 
heaves it, does it. I don't even know if that hit the rim or hit the side of the backboard or something. Just not a good shot. But again, this is the learning curve, right? Like this is the learning curve of when you get someone new who's going to be a, a featured part of your team, at least for the next 50 games of the year, right? Like you're going to have, it's going to take some time for you to get to know the player, the player to get to know you and know the plays and know what to do. And that's a tough one when you need the three. I think that was just too much of an ask. I'd love to know what the actual play call was, but that was a tough one for sure on that final play. Overall, though, I think he's the one who you want his like you want him making the shot because he's your best shooter. Um, but I overall, I want to say that I'm excited. Yeah, because I'm excited about this Raptors team, and I know you're here. We broke down this game, but I do want to get your take overall just on the trade as a whole. Were you one of the people who are a hugest OG guy? Uh, no, no. So like I, it's one of those ones where like I learn from the past. So when the, for example, when that Rudy Gay trade happened or when the DeMar DeRozan trade happened, those are guys where I was just like, I was so adamant about like, what are the Raptors doing? These are like guys who are here. We're going to make such a big difference, especially with the DeMar DeRozan one. I was so hurt by it at the time because DeMar DeRozan was my favorite players. But like you come to a realization where like you kind of just see what's happening with the team and what the outlook is. And you know that like the writing's on the wall a little bit, especially when you hear these reports with like OG Ananobi's representation and CA having ties with Leon Rose and the Knicks. And like, that's kind of where OG wanted to potentially go looking for a bigger role in that money. And uh, it's just like, it just made sense on both sides. The Knicks, like you saw what they did today. They just, uh, they stomped the 76ers, which is a very impressive win. They're undefeated since the trade. They got what they needed and the Raptors got what they wanted out of it too. And like, it just speaks to when you have clear outlook and clear vision, what it does for your perspective on a team. Like the Raptors lost today, but our entire conversation has been positive because yeah. <laughs> we know what this team is kind of going for now and what they're building towards. And that makes such a difference for the team. And I think that's what I took away going into the trade and hearing about it. It's just like, you understand now, you understand what this team wants to build around and what they want to do. Go back a couple of weeks and this loss isn't something that we're talking positively about. We're still frustrated with this team. Because it kind of just felt like, oh, typical Raptors, a fake comeback happened. What does it matter? They still lost. But now it's like, no, like these guys are learning. There's growing pains and it's going to make sense. So like the trade overall def really does feel like a win-win for me. Obviously, it's sad to see a beloved like Raptor and like OG Ananobi go. But if it's what he wants and he gets like what he wants out of it, then I think that's just as important. And the Raptors got what they wanted out of it too. So I think the trade overall was positive And just having that outlook now makes the biggest difference for both sides. And so, you know, a lot of people, the way that they viewed the trade at first, because the way the media is going to make the headline, make it be OG for uh, RJ Barrett, right? Obviously the Canadian angle, oh, that's yeah. <laughs> going to be how people are going to frame it all the time. It's going to be for RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. It's interesting because RJ, you know, even if we bring it back a little bit to this game, RJ really didn't play much in winning time, right? Like Schroeder was getting a lot of those minutes. And to me, you know, RJ with 14 points in this game, four of eight from the floor, two of four from three. To me, I have no issues with RJ Barrett, right? Like yeah. RJ Barrett to me seems to be so like over analyzed and like negatively analyzed. And I don't understand like where all the negativity comes from. Like I understand he misses some wide open threes. He might make the odd turnover here and there. Like I get that, but like the way people talk about him, I don't get why it's so bad. And people are so like critical of his game. Like what is it that people are expecting? Is it because he's not a superstar? Like, is that the issue? I don't get it. 
Yeah, I think there's like two things. And uh, I guess since I'm the Raptor, uh, the RJ Barrett apologist, according to social media, after I set <laughs> up for him and his contract, I had Knicks fans and like other people on my neck for that. But I think the two biggest things with him is it's the fact that he was drafted third overall behind John Morant and Zion Williamson, obviously two big names. And like, granted, you could argue that he's been the most like reliable out of the three or the most stable <laughs> at least. Uh, so there's that. But uh, it, high expectations, not just being third, but being third and going to New York and them wanting that kind of person to be that star, superstar type of player for them. And uh, it's, it's the money of it as well. Like he's getting around $27 million a year on this like uh, contract that he's been paid. But I think people, when they look at those things, they forget that like he, he, he plays 300th game today and he's only 23 years old. Like he is so young. He's younger than Emmanuel Quickly, who's supposed to be this young, bright prospect in this deal. So like expecting him to be anything close to perfect, I think is a little foolish. And like, I get you want him to play well for the money, but like, it's one of those things where, like, the money isn't – it is being paid a bit for what he's doing now, but it's also about what his value is going to be as well because this is a long-term deal, and you know what he can go into. If he's giving you, like, 14 points on good efficiency and uh, not being a problem late for you, I think that's as positive as you can expect out of him, and then he's only going to grow. Again, 23 years old is so much room for growth. Like, you're asking him to get a little more efficient offensively. You're asking him to pick things up a bit defensively. And you're asking things like that about Giannobi, who might be getting paid forty million dollars this year. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. you're you're asking a guy to like do these things, and I understand that because of the money. But you have to like also take in the consideration how young he is, and he has so much room to make that stuff happen. So I'm with you where I don't really see why there's so much negativity around him. Maybe it's just because of the New York market and what was attached to that and the the pressures of it. But I think he just has so much room to work. And like, I wrote it down like four different times in this game that. Uh, RJ Barrett is such an underrated passer. He showed it so, especially early. He's had great starts to all his games with the Raptors so far. And his ability to navigate through traffic and make passes, I think is so helpful. You talked about the him and they like, quickly working in transition. And the thing I find fun is that like quickly is really good as like the, the, the deep threat in transition, working around the perimeter in the break where RJ is just breakneck, take it down your throat. And then he can pass the ball out of it too. And you're right. Sometimes it gets him into tricky situations where he'll turn over the ball. But a lot of the times it gets the good looks. He got a couple of great passes out to Jakob. He didn't finish them all. He got Scotty two awesome threes on some transition passes. And it just shows he has that ability. And if you get that RJ on a consistent basis, then that money looks like nothing. It looks like a bargain to be quite honest. And that is the biggest question mark around him. But like, I'm totally with you. We're like, he gets too much hate. He's too young and he has so much time to figure it out. Yeah. Like it's, it's a weirdest thing to me. Cause I still don't think that OG is that much better than yeah. RJ Barrett. And if you're telling me you're going to pay OG upwards of 35, yeah. you know what I mean? For the next however many years. And RJ is younger than OG, more cost effective than OG. And you can find someone to play defense. It might not be the all defensive caliber that OG is, but you can find when your team is ready, you can find that missing three and D type player yeah. to plug into your lineup. I don't want to pay that much money, though, for that guy. And the biggest point, to jump on what you just said about the New York Knicks and R.J. Barrett, totally agree wholeheartedly. We've talked about that on this pod as well, how you know the expectations that came from not being Ja and not being uh, Zion Williamson. Like If we remember, the New York Post had a front-page cover that had Photoshopped Zion, Kevin Durant, 
and Kyrie Irving in Knicks uniforms, right? Yeah. Like that was their hopes and expectations going into that offseason. And so to not end up with Zion, to not end up, end up with Ja, and then to end up with RJ, that pressure was just insane, right? And un yeah. completely unfair. But the other question I'll ask all these naysayers about how bad RJ Barrett is, please name me the Knicks prospect that they drafted, that they've developed. Or just anyone that the Knicks have developed, right? Like, who is that person? Like, maybe you could say Porzingis, maybe. But, yeah. like, you know, I, I don't even know if you give that to them, right? Like, he got hurt a bunch, and then by the time he was ready to re-sign, they were ready to trade him. So, like, who is the person? Like, they don't even have late-round draft picks that you're like, oh, yeah, that's someone that they've developed. It doesn't exist. So now we're going to crush a 23-year-old who was already averaging 18 points per game in the league on a decent team in the middle of the Eastern Conference beside yeah. two ball-dominant guys, and he's still able to get his 18 points a night. I don't understand the problem, and especially when we value the Raptors' development organization, right? So you're bringing them here. I, don't, I just don't understand. It's weird to me how some people viewed this whole deal from the RJ standpoint of yeah. it. So many conversations about, oh, are they just pandering, getting a Canadian? Oh, you know, like, is that the reason that they got him? As if, like, if his name was RJ Barrett, but he's from Buffalo, New York, right? And he was the third overall pick a couple years ago, and now you're getting a chance to trade for him and see if you can develop him in your program we'd be applauding that deal yeah because those are the type of deals that we need to make as a toronto raptors because you're not signing a high price free agent right and you don't want to tank to get another high lottery pick so i don't know this is a perfect scenario if you ask me but i also think this is a good segue into shams yeah <laughs> Wow. Like I was busy. Like we had the game on Sportsnet tonight. So I was working on the open. So I missed this whole thing in real time. Mm -hmm. It was just as I like finished sending everything to the truck for the game that I sat down and I was just like, hold on. What did Shams, what did Shams put out here? Because I had to write down the time at yeah. 6 46 PM. Shams said on the show, The Rally, which I don't even know what that is, but he says the Raptors are ramping up trade talks surrounding star forward Pascal Siakam with the Western Conference playoff contender emerging as a serious suitor. That's at 946. So obviously everyone's going to go crazy because the Raptors are in Sacramento yeah. <laughs> and there's already been rumors floating. Add that into all the talk going on around Golden State where... Obviously, Kaminga, last night, the story leaked from Shams that Kaminga's unhappy with his minutes. Steve yeah. Kerr's having the answer to that. So Raptors fans are in a frenzy. Mm -hmm. Then at 9-10, right, Shams follows that up with, the Sacramento Kings are deciding to pull out of this Pascal Siakam talks, sources say. Like, who could your sources be on that, right? That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep quoting, my bad. Things can be fluid, but Kings Raptors talks are over are now over. Third, yeah, that's that's from Shams. How did you take in all of this information and what were your overall thoughts on it? Oh, it's a great question. Uh, how did I take in this information? I think it was just it was a lot of just trying to like spin the wheel in your head of like what 
could the deals be? What could the offers be? Because uh, when you said when they said the as a Western Conference contender, like ramping up for it, you're like, okay, it's probably got to be the Kings. They're the most serious contender right now out of all of them. And then they're in Sacramento. It's perfect. Honestly, it's funny. One of my first thought was I just feel bad for Harrison Barnes if he gets traded. He's been traded mid-game before, if we all remember that like meme from back <laughs> in the day. I was like, don't do it to him again, please. <laughs> I feel really bad if that was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, it didn't. And then like it was just weird because you're like thinking like, okay, this trade just just does not make sense for Toronto without Keegan Murray. Like at least if you're thinking of it like uh, realistically in terms of like what they want to get out of it, a deal surrounding Barnes, Davion Mitchell, and Kevin Herter, you can squint and try to make sense out of. But if you get because it's an expiring deal, but like really no, like if you can get what you got for OG on an expiring deal, you expect kind of similar for Pascal Siakam in a situation like that. So you just have to think that was that was the hiccup. But I'm just I find it so interesting because because uh, like within two hours the fact that it went from ramping up talks to and being the favorites to then not being in the conversation at all they're willing to pull out I just think it must have been Keegan Murray was the big hangup but didn't we all know that going into the conversation <laughs> that they just weren't going to give Ke- Keegan Murray this happened a couple weeks ago where the Raptors interested Keegan Murray Keegan Murray goes off for like forty or something I believe and then all of a sudden it comes out that the Kings are just not going to put Keegan Murray in any deals. So, like, where did this conversation go again? How did it even get to this point? I would just love to be a fly in that wall. You see Masai talking to Alvin Gentry before the game because he's in Sacramento, so that made the frenzy go even crazier. So I just wonder, like, what was the conversation that made it so interesting that this ramped up? Because you already knew Keegan Murray wasn't going to be a part of this deal. Yeah, it's so weird. And and the raps clearly, you can't do that deal without Keegan Murray. You're totally right about that because it just doesn't make any sense. And if you're Sacramento... I wouldn't want to give up Keegan Murray either in this deal, right? So it's such a weird scenario and dynamic to be in. But you obviously wonder, like, who wants this information out there, right? Yeah. So obviously the Raptors would want the information out there about, you know, ramping up trade talks with the contender to try to get better offers from whoever else might be involved. And obviously Sacramento's like, whoa, 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 I know everyone probably thinks it's us. But it's not us. They're the ones that want that second information out there. But in terms of the trade talks, I find it interesting because I will say this. One, we haven't heard from Masai or Bobby Webster since that Knicks deal. And that tells me they are seriously working on a Pascal Siakam deal because obviously if that wasn't the case, you're going to come in front of the media, talk about this current trade, and be ready to discuss, to answer the question about Pascal. So it'd be something of, you know, for now, we're just going to hold on to Pascal, see how this season goes, and we're confident that we'll be able to re-sign him or whatever, something to that effect. But the fact that they haven't come out to, I mean, gloat about this Knicks deal, maybe they also don't want to give up what's their next move, right, to whomever the other suitors could be that are out there. Did you see the clip, though, that's floating around? From open gym. I was gonna bring it up too. I know exactly the one you're talking about. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead, please, please, please. Uh no, like just I think it's like one of those things where like you don't want to go to like conspiracy theory level, but you do <laughs> want to read the tea leaves a bit where like the Masai Ujiri in that open gym clip is talking to Manuel quickly right after this whole trade has gone down, and he's talking to him about like we're so excited to have you here, and I'm paraphrasing, it's like uh, the fit with you and Scotty makes so much sense, and we're gonna build around. He doubles down, double down in like a couple seconds, being like, Oh yeah with you and scotty makes so much sense and then we're gonna build this thing around you and scotty barnes like he just both times just mentioned scotty 
coincidentally doesn't mention your multiple time all NBA player who's been an all star as well in Pascal Siakam. And it's like, it's hard not to read the tea leaves on that. And like anyone watching that, including the Raptors, must know what people are going to think. And they very purposefully put that out there on social media for people to go crazy over. So like it does raise eyebrows and it makes you want to think about it. Like, you know what people are going to think and say, and you know what the reaction is going to be, and you still chose to do that. So it's hard not to read into that. Yeah, it's very strange to me that you would let that like get out because you're blatantly saying within that whole thing, he blatantly says, you know, you and Scotty, we see, you know, that's the future going forward. Blah blah. And it's like, uh, <laughs> I feel like if Pascal Siakam was even like he's still on the team right now. But if yeah. he was part of your thoughts, you would have mentioned him at least. And I feel like even mentioning Pascal wouldn't necessarily mean that he's staying for sure. Yeah. Because you could just spin it, right? Like, hey, adding you to our to our core right now of Pascal and Scotty, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's ways you could have said it. But the specifics of mentioning the future and just Scotty around Scotty, whoa. But I also yeah. wonder why you'd let that get public because then someone else is seeing that. And seeing what your plan is, unless maybe it's so far gone in the Siakam deals that everybody knows he's available anyways. Yeah. Like that could be the thing, right? Yeah. The thing I find interesting with this, like uh, one of the things I said early when this trade happened, my immediate reaction was like, okay, it would make sense to extend Siakam now. And my thought was that you extend him, you evaluate this season with it with Siakam. And you could even trade him before the trade deadline after extending him. But the thing is, it gives you more leverage. Obviously, he wouldn't be on an expiring deal anymore. But if you play out the season with him, and then you try to trade him in the offseason on a long-term contract, it, it obviously gives more leverage because he's under control for a team you're trading with. But the thing I've, like, came to the realization to recently is that, like, there has been, like, zero reporting around the Raptors even offering him a contract. All, yeah. There's been reporting that Siakam wants to stay in Toronto, but he doesn't like the idea of, like, a three-year deal. He wants, like, a max contract, be it a super max or a regular max. Mm -hmm. And we can debate that, like, separately. But the fact is, like, it doesn't even sound like the Raptors have offered him a contract. So, like, if the idea was, like, hey, maybe we do evaluate uh, Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam with these new guys, then I feel like a deal would have happened by now if that's something the Raptors are considering. The fact that it's not happened by now makes me think they haven't even made an offer or put that idea on the table. They've just been so committed to this idea of working a Pascal Siakam trade because they want to go towards this future, which, like, again, I don't know if either side is even true, but it's hard not to see that as kind of maybe like the writing on the wall or to speculate that because there's been zero reporting, as far as I know, around an offer being made to Pascal Siakam. And that part of it is really, like, uh, uh, interesting to me because if, that, if they haven't offered him anything, then it's like, all right, then you, are, you know where this is going. Yeah, it is super weird. It's so true, right? But we've I feel like we've known from even last offseason, we've known that Pascal wants to stay because yeah. that's been the storyline the whole time, right? The storyline has been, you know, while the rumors were so hyped up around the Atlanta deal, right? That rumored was on the table during the offseason. And Siakam's people kind of made it known, hey, he doesn't want to go there, right? He wants yeah. to stay in Toronto. So that, you know, that sort of tango that's going down right now is going to be very interesting because is there a world where pascal just takes less than the max and gives like a super huge like team friendly deal because he really 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 wants to stay i feel like agents don't allow that to happen anymore <laughs> you know the pa doesn't allow that to happen but imagine that because the reality of this whole raptors situation is there's not enough money without you going into the luxury yeah. to keep Pascal at a near max deal to sign quickly to a long-term deal and then 
Scotty obviously is going to be up soon too, right? Mm. So you don't have the money when you add in RJ to also be able to keep Siakam. So that's the part that I find super interesting because if you're the Raps, you have to you have to strike right now. But all these teams already know that you've messed up. Mm-hmm. Like you have no leverage. What's your leverage if you're the Raps? Yeah, you can keep them, but like, okay, you're going to keep them and, and lose them for nothing. So eventually you feel like they have to, you have to cave at some point and just take whatever the best deal is. It's on the table. No. Yeah. I'm with you. I think I said this uh, in other places where like, you just can't have the Fred Van Vliet thing happen again. Like with the Fred Van Vliet situation, everyone knew like, yes, you didn't want to pay Fred like the 30 plus million dollars a year that he got. And that's okay. I agree with that. But then letting him go for nothing is a failure in the opposite end. You just can't let him go for nothing. If you already knew you weren't going to pay him, you should have started looking at moving him sooner. And the same thing with Pascal Siakam. The financial implications of it are really dicey, especially if you're not going to be a tax team, like you said. So then if you know that and you're willing to accept that, then you have to like like one asset is better than zero. So you, yeah. you take that at the end of the day, right? Like yes, yes, you're selling him at a lower cost, but like it's better than selling him for nothing, right? You let him go away for free. So I I, I agree with you in all of that. That like at this point, like you just have to see what's available to you, and you have to evaluate the fact that the opportunity cost of not dealing him at this point is going to be losing him for nothing, and that's just something you really don't want this front office doing because there's just way too much value in a Pascal Siakam, and like teams get desperate on the trade deadline, and I've been saying this too. They're like. The market around trade deadline time isn't going to be super like crazy and it, it, and juicy. Like there's a Zach Levine available potentially, a Dejounte Murray, and then Pascal Siakam is the next name there, and he might be more of a sought after name than those other guys too. So like this is a time for teams where they might get desperate and they might be willing to offer more, and he's going to be one of just few names out there. So if there's ever a time to get value out of an expiring deal, like you saw for OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam, it's now. Question. Would a DeJounte, Murray, Pascal, Siakam swap make sense? No, because then you're worried about the same thing, right? Not enough money for everyone involved because DeJounte is still at a pretty big clip. Yeah, DeJounte, Murray's contract, I don't like, I think it's definitely dicey as well. And like the encore fit for me is like interesting as well. DeJounte is like, he came into the league as a defensive, like specialist, like slasher type role, but he's been more ball dominant lately. I don't like his fit with Trey Young because I think there's a bit of redundancy there personally. So, like, I don't know, like, how he fits with this Raptors core as well. But, like, maybe it's just one of those things where, like, you bring him in and try to flip him again. Like, I know the Warriors did that with D'Angelo Russell uh, when they got him uh, from the Nets. So, maybe it's a situation like that. So, uh, it it could be just a means of getting off Pascal's, like, potential money or that contract and dealing with that. Like, obviously, he's expiring, so you don't have to worry about his, like, long-term money. But maybe that's a situation where, like, you can take an expiring deal, turn into DeJounte Murray, who's under contract, and flip that with more leverage. That mm-hmm. that is a possible scenario. So I, I wouldn't completely rule it out, but I think it's a little hard to get that done. It's also tough too, because if I'm the team trading for Pascal Siakam, what assets am I giving up without some kind of, you know, acknowledgement that he has interest to signing with me? Because yeah. as of now, I don't think that exists. And so a team like Sacramento, of course, they're not giving up young assets because we don't even know if he wants to stay. And at last check, he told us he didn't want to, he, like he wants to stay in Toronto. And that's why the OG thing was so interesting because 
as you mentioned, like OG's agent is the Knicks president's son. So clearly there's a, there's a conversation there where it's like, Hey, what do you think about re-signing with this next year? Like, I'm sure there's some form of wink, wink, nudge, nudge there, but yeah, we can talk about this trade forever, obviously. And we'll have tons of time to talk about it between now and the trade deadline for sure. Because I'm sure that there'll be more nights where Shams blows up Raptors Twitter and Woj sees what Shams did and then Woj is going to blow up Raptors <laughs> Twitter. So that's just going to be a fun game of NBA media seeing what they can do to Raptors Twitter over the next month. And yeah. I warn people all the time, just be careful of who the sources are. Be careful of what the information is because all NBA media knows if you throw out a rumor that involves the Toronto Raptors, and as we learned about a month ago, any Toronto sports team, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> you can fly and get traction and get clout on Twitter. So oh, just yeah. saying, be careful with every piece of information that comes out between now and the trade deadline, because there will be a lot. Uh, but Zolfi, please let the people know where they can find you online and you know, just be able to follow a bunch of your stuff, what else you're working on that you might have coming up soon that you're working on. And also, too, so that people know, my guy's going to be back here joining us on the pod here. Sure. So, but let the people know, man. Yeah, I'll let them know. I just, I also wanted to mention like your your uh, I guess like advice. Be careful with like uh, your sources and stuff. Just know the uh, the Raptors are playing the Warriors next, and that's mm-hmm. another team linked to them. So it's gonna happen again. I'm almost positive <laughs> all these this rumor mill is gonna come right back up in a couple yeah. days on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, where they can find me is at Zulfi underscore Shake. That's said U L F I underscore S H E I K H. That's on Instagram and on Twitter. Follow me. I love get, being involved with people. I think the one thing I learned is like being new in this industry too. I love engaging with people. I love talking with people. And you may not always get that from more seasoned people in this industry because they have so many people in their mentions and stuff. But I want to make the time. I want to be a part of this community. So I'd love to talk. Uh, I have a lot of work on Raptors Republic. I'm going to be at a couple 905 games this month and the next month in person. So if you see me, please say hi. Again, I want to talk to people. And then I have some stuff on Sportsnet as well. But I'm going to be on Canada Hoops Daily. That's what I want to talk about here. I'm going to yes. be here. I'm going to be as many on as many podcasts as I can. Once we get the site going and writing and doing other content, I'm going to be involved in that kind of stuff too. But yeah, I just, I want to engage with as many people as possible. So please reach out. Yeah. And that's the vibe of what this podcast is. And that's why it's so dope to hear you talk about that stuff because People know from going back to when we did this pod, the championship year, this whole thing was the pod being live and interactive and this being the people show, right? Like we want to hear from the people. And so when the pod goes up, especially on a night like this, where most people aren't going to listen to this until in the morning, right? (laughs) Get the comments in. We'll read them. I see them. I try to like write back to people and stuff. So that ends up being dope. You mentioned though, this Raptors road trip, this was Mm -hmm. the second game of the road trip in which now they are one and one, but coming up on Sunday, they got the golden state warriors Tuesday, Wednesday, a back-to-back in LA versus the Lakers and Clippers. And then Friday, they close out the road trip in Utah. That is a tough road trip, but also I think a very good road trip for a team that just made a deal in terms of getting to be on the road, build some camaraderie, build up a relationship, a rapport, like get to know each other, get to, you know, like all those videos that just leaked from uh, um, Open Gym mm-hmm. of like RJ and, and Emmanuel in the in the car and him learn, already sliding into Toronto <laughs> slang. Like 
all that stuff is just gold and it's going to help people fall in love with this team more and more and switch up the vibe completely from what this yeah. team, it was just about a week ago right like yeah. it's so crazy so i look forward to that and i look forward to having you on again soon my dude to do this again and you know uh, again on this on this road trip the raps will win a couple of these games for sure yeah. because i feel like the way that they're playing their style of play it will lead to success for sure so i really appreciate that i really appreciate the people tuning into this the Canada Hoops Daily presents Wrap It Up Podcast. A reminder that we do this live after each and every Toronto Raptors game. You can find us and interact with the show on YouTube at Canada Hoops Daily, Instagram at Canada Hoops Daily, and of course, the app formerly known as Twitter at can hoops daily and after the show we end up on the podcast wherever you get your podcast that would be on apple and on spotify just search you guessed it canada hoops daily thank you everyone for tuning in and i close out every pod the exact same way because it's the truth and i feel it in my bones i really did used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this this is canada hoops daily presents wrap it up podcast as always unpolished and unapologetic. Until next time, see ya.